Good morning, everybody. How are you guys doing today? Man, what a, what a thunderous rain we got woken up to last night. I was, I, I told somebody this morning, man, I love the rain. I love sleeping in the rain, but it woke me up today and I've been up for a while. Well, hey, before we get into the word today, um, I just want to let you know, if you've never been water baptized, uh, this next week, we're going to be having water baptism, and this is a great way to demonstrate your faith. Not only is it a great way to do that, but Jesus actually commands his disciples to be baptized, and this is an awesome time to invite your friends and family, and most people will come and celebrate with you doing something like this, even if they don't believe in Jesus, and it's just a great witness for them to get around the family of God and experience the power of the Holy Spirit and worship and hear God's word. And so want to make sure that you guys register for that. If you are not registered, if you've never been baptized, this is the next step for you. So make sure to get baptized. Well, glad everyone is with us online. You guys all with us in person. We started a, a brand new series uh, called Icons, and man, it's been a, a fun series so far to prepare for and to plan for and to teach. And so if you missed last week's message, you can check it out where most podcasts are played. You can also check it out on our YouTube channel or the Church Center app. Well, with that, we're in week two of our series called Icon. Somebody say Icon. What's an icon? Well, most of us know that an icon is a symbol uh, or a representation of someone or something. And in our series, we're going to be looking at the icons of the Holy Spirit that we see in Scripture. See, the Bible actually provides us visual imagery or pictures to help us be more acquainted with the Holy Spirit and more specifically uh, with how he interacts and intervenes in our life. And there's symbols like uh, water and fire and oil and clouds and doves and, and all kinds of things. I mean, it's wild when you really get into scripture and uh, see the pictures that the Bible gives us. Before we get into the word, uh, I want us to pray and uh, our objective is that we just open our heart before the Lord and we listen to him. And we just say, Holy Spirit, what do you have to say to me today? And so those moments where you want to underline something or something sticks out to you or you're reminded of something and you want to write it down, these are the moments where God is trying to talk to us as individuals. How many know that he's a personal God? Let's pray. Lord, we love you and we just thank you for your word. We just ask today that our hearts would be open to hear what you want to say to us through your scripture. God, we know we need your help to understand, and we have your help in the person of the Holy Spirit. We ask that your Holy Spirit would reveal himself to us today in a brand new way. In Jesus' name, somebody say amen. Amen. All right. Well, we're talking about the Holy Spirit in this series, and uh, the Holy Spirit is the third person of the Trinity, and the Trinity is just a word that describes God the Father as the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. He's not three different gods, but he's actually one God, and God works in perfect union with himself. No one is higher than another. They are all equally God expressing themselves in three distinct Persons, And, you know, it's easy to understand what a father's like or what a son is like, but how about the Holy Spirit? You know, most of us, you know, don't have any natural relationships like that to understand. So scripture gives us these icons 
to help us understand his role in our life. Our series text is coming from John 14. Uh, We're going to read verses 16 and 17. Jesus is explaining in these verses how the Holy Spirit is a significant part of our life and preparing for his departure to heaven uh, to be seated at the right hand of the Father. He gives his disciples some instructions, and, and here's what he says in John 14, starting at verse 16. Jesus says this, I'm going to ask the Father, and he is going to give you another helper, a helper to be with you forever. And it says, even the spirit of truth whom the world can't receive, because it neither sees him nor knows him. But you actually know him. And how do they know him? Well, because he dwells with them, and he's going to be with them as well and in them. See, Jesus is promising a helper, and he names the helper in this passage as the spirit of truth, the spirit of God, the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit is going to take Jesus' place on earth when he goes up to heaven. And how do they know him? Well, they know him because, well, the Trinity is one. They're all equaled. So the same spirit that's in Jesus is the same spirit they're going to come to know when the Holy Spirit comes and takes the place of Jesus. Well, we're talking today about the icon of fire. Somebody say fire. You know, there's a a lot of scripture that talks about fire, but I want to talk about what I think are the two most significant um, scriptures that discuss fire. Well, how does fire help us to understand the purpose or the role of the Holy Spirit in our life? Let's first take a look at an early New Testament passage that talks about fire. Turn your Bibles to Matthew 3, verse number 11. Matthew 3 and 11. And I just want to warn you, we're going to be going through a lot of Scripture today. And uh, I think it's important that we are on firm biblical ground when we talk about this topic of the Holy Spirit and fire. So here, before we read the passage, John the Baptist is famously characterized here as a a wild man living in the desert, eating locusts and honey and wearing camel's hair as clothes. And, And here he comes, and his job, his task, his mission in life is to prepare the way for Jesus, to get the community, to get the people ready to be looking for the Messiah when he comes. And so here's, here's, what, here's what is said here. John tells us in Matthew 3, verse 11, he says, listen up, everybody. I baptize you with water for repentance, talking about salvation. But he who is coming after me is mightier than I, whose sandals I'm not worthy to carry, And he's going to baptize you in a different kind of baptism. Well, John, what kind of baptism? Well, John says he, Jesus, is going to baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand, and he will clear his threshing floor and gather his wheat into the barn. But the chaff he will burn with an unquenchable fire. John is saying, somebody's coming that is much greater than me. And John was a personality. He was a powerful personality. And people were following him, and they revered him. And and he was telling everybody, stop looking to me, because what I offer you is nothing compared to the one that is coming. In fact, John gives them this illustration about carrying sandals. See, in the first century, it was said that slaves would carry the sandals of their masters. And John was telling them, I'm not even worthy to carry his sandals. I'm not even worthy to be a slave 
of Jesus. He is so mighty. And so John gives him this picture. Now, as good Pentecostals, we love this passage that talks about the baptism of the Holy Spirit and fire. But I want to suggest here that there's much more to this passage because um, we're not just isolating it to this one verse, but we're looking at verse 11 and 12, and it gives us a broader context about what this Holy Spirit and fire is about. And I think as we approach this topic, I think that these verses demand two things from us. They demand an expectation from believers in Jesus who are ready for this Holy Spirit and fire, but also a humility, the same humility that John said when he said, I'm not even worthy to carry his sandals. Here, this icon of fire accompanied with the Holy Spirit, this passage gives us a window into what the Holy Spirit is like. The first thing I notice is this, that fire is a symbol of judgment, a symbol of judgment. How is it a symbol of judgment? Well, fire here is an agent that separates wheat from chaff. And John uses this metaphor, this farming metaphor that describes how the farmers would clear the threshing floor. They would, they would gather up all the wheat that was useful to use, and then they would leave the chaff that was unuseful. It was unfit uh, for the harvest. It was no longer needed. And, and what would happen with the chaff? He said that it would actually get burned up. And many commentators believe that, that this is also referring to the time when Jesus returns. The time when Jesus separates believers from non-believers. The time that he gathers his saints to him. And the time where people will burn. Now, these are not my words. These are the words of Scripture. And I take no delight. I'm not trying to fear monger or freak anybody out. I'm just telling you what Scripture says. And here, God reveals that this baptism in the Holy Spirit comes with fire. See, baptism here means to dip under, specifically related to ceremonial dipping. And fire here is described as a burning agent. And I want to challenge us to not read these passages as modern believers, but think about what this meant to people who were hearing this in the first century, because that's who it was written to. And as I think about this primarily Jewish audience, and I kind of wonder how would they maybe have heard these words from John, perhaps I want to suggest that as he talked about baptism, that maybe these guys who were fully uh, aware of the Levitical laws and Leviticus chapter 8, where Aaron and his sons were prepared to be priests. They had to be washed and purified the same way that baptism symbolizes that, and it would prepare the priests for service to do ministry on behalf of God, symbolizing the purity and cleansing power of baptism. I could only imagine they were thinking of this. I can only imagine they were thinking as John brought this metaphor of the fire. I can only imagine they thought of Leviticus chapter 6 where God gives Moses instructions about burnt offerings made for God's judgment upon sin. And in this case, fire was required for burnt offerings. Let's check it out. Leviticus chapter 6 verses 12 and 13. It says that the fire on the altar should be kept burning on it. It shall not go out. It should never go out. The priests shall burn wood on it every 
morning. And he shall arrange the burnt offering on it, and it shall burn it on it the fat of the peace offerings. Fire shall be kept burning on the altar continually, and it shall not go out. I can only imagine as we consider that these people who were used to a fire being kept and the priests were responsible day and night to provide a perpetual fire that was going to be there for the sacrifice to judge the sin of God's people. And as people would bring the sacrifice in the law, they would be refined by the fire of God and they would be deemed pure and ready and righteous for God. And people who would realize their sin, they would bring these sacrifices to the priests to be burned up by this fire that never went out. It's as if John the Baptist was telling this audience, a new kind of fire is coming. A kind of fire that man is not responsible to build. A kind of fire that man cannot provide, but an eternal fire. An eternal fire that every believer needs. This fire is fueled by the Holy Spirit. In your notes, I noticed this symbol of judgment was good news for the believer. Now, the baptism in the Holy Spirit purifies the chap that gets rid of the chap and gets rid of what is dead and unusable and leaves only the gold in us, only our new nature in Christ. That is what makes us pure. And, and we talked last week about how the dove came and, and brought much purity. So we're not going to go into a bunch of details on that. We talked about it last week. There's some of the same symbolism here in these two icons. But I think it's important for us to know this, that his judgment of us, who have been refined by the Holy Spirit and fire, is I judge you righteous. I judge you mine. My fire has purified you, and it has made you like gold in my eyes. You are my treasure. Now, Malachi 3, 2 and 3 describes also that on the day of the Lord, it says, who can stand when Jesus appears? Only those who have been touched by the refiner's fire, the purifying agent of the everlasting flame of the Holy Spirit can stand on the day when God judges. In your notes, we see that this symbol of judgment was good news for the believer, but it was also gloomy news for the unbeliever. And I think it was actually more than gloomy news, but you know I had to try to find a G to go along with the outline. See, this was sad news for the lost. Hebrews 12, 29 says that our God is an all-consuming fire. And the sad thing is for the Jews who refused to believe this message, their fate was gloomy as they looked at a place of eternity separate from the Holy Spirit, separate from God, reserved for flames that destroy, not flames that refine Remember, the icon of fire is the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is this agent that comes and does this. And as the Holy Spirit comes and indwells into the life of a believer, he renews us. But for the person who does not have gold and they're just made of chaff and their old, dead, sinful nature, they will be burned in the lake of fire one day. We see this 
theme of fire and judgment played all throughout Scripture. In Genesis 19, we see Sodom and Gomorrah suffering the judgment of fire. In 2 Peter 3.10, we see again the day of the Lord and the works done on the earth are going to be burned up and exposed. Only the gold will remain and the chaff will burn. Those living without the life of Christ will not survive this fire. Here's what's important for us to know that we will be touched by the fire of God either now by his grace or later by his judgment and fury. And we get the opportunity to choose how we want to be touched by him. We're talking about the icon of fire. We're going to get a little more lighthearted now. Are you all all okay? You guys all right? I want us to notice the fire, um, the second significant passage. We're going to take a look at Acts chapter 1 and 2. And in your notes, we're going to look at these passages and notice that fire is a symbol of empowerment. Somebody say empowerment. Here in Acts 1, there's another direct connection between the Holy Spirit and fire. And I want to make sure that we keep in mind what Matthew 3 said when John foretold us that Jesus is going to come with the baptism of the Holy Spirit and fire. And then here in Acts 1, before Jesus goes to heaven to be seated at the right hand of the Father, he gives final instructions to his believer, Acts 1 Verse 4, and here are Jesus' final instructions. And while staying with them, his disciples, Jesus, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father. Remember, he promised them a helper, right? And he said, you heard from me, for John the Baptist baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. And he's saying, everything you heard about Me coming and leaving the Holy Spirit and baptizing you in the Holy Spirit, it's true. And and I'm telling you even now that I'm going to do it. I'm sending the helper that I promise you. And Jesus is instructing them to stay in Jerusalem and, and don't disperse, don't spread. Wait for the promise of the Father, the Holy Spirit, and fire. Now remember, Jesus had already died and gone to the cross These believers are saved. The ultimate message, yes, the Holy Spirit does come as a seal for our salvation, but these people had already been saved and Jesus saw fit that they still needed to be baptized with the Holy Spirit and with and with fire. And so let's skip down to to verse number eight in this passage. And Jesus says, But you'll receive power when the Holy Spirit comes. Well, why? Well, because I want you to be my witness in Jerusalem and in Judea and Samaria. And so the ends of the earth, Jesus tells them the purpose for this empowerment, this purpose is that we would be witnesses of the mighty power, goodness, love, grace, unifying work of God. That's what God empowers the church for. We're going to go over to Acts number chapter 2 now, verses 1 through 4. So Jesus, John tells them somebody's going to come that's going to baptize you in fire. Jesus comes and he says, I'm going to baptize you. I'm the baptizer. Go and wait for my baptism. And here we are in Acts chapter 2. The video illustrated it so well. Here's what Acts 2 says. When the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place. This 
agricultural festival celebrated the wheat harvest. It was a time where they brought the first fruits of the harvest of God and they celebrated. And over time, it also became a celebration as God giving the law to Moses. And now you got to understand Jews from all around would gather for these festivals. Not Let's just imagine that all the Christians had to come to Arlington to celebrate Easter. Can you imagine how packed it would be here. I mean, way more packed than, than Super Bowl Sunday in a city. I mean, people are going to be everywhere. And the Bible actually describes that people from all the nation, all the surrounding nations, all the known nations of the world would come around and gather for this incredible moment. The streets were flooded with people. And what a day for the Holy Spirit to choose to come as he had the attention of the world. And here comes the promise of the Father. Verse number two, let's keep reading. And suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind. And it filled the entire house where they were sitting and divided tongues of fire appeared on them and rested on each one of them. And they were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. So here we see what John had talked about what Jesus had talked about happening right before their eyes. They are baptized and filled with the Holy Spirit. And now remember when the Holy Spirit came down like a dove on Jesus, symbolizing that he is the Son of God and God's voice spoke. The same way the Holy Spirit came down and brought approval on Jesus. Here comes fire down upon the heads of man as another symbol of the Holy Spirit at work in humans. And what did this Holy Spirit and fire empower them to do? Verse number 12 tells us that they were empowered to suddenly speak other languages. The Greek word here for tongues actually is the word where we get languages or the word glossary, many words. And here they began to speak many words and many languages. Let's continue to read it together because this is like, this is bizarre, y'all. I mean, you try to explain this stuff to anybody and they're going to give you a second take. I mean, this is stuff that you watch on the sci-fi channel. It's bonkers. People that don't even know a language, you know, half of us can't even speak and spell and write in our own language very well, let alone speak other languages of the earth. And it says in verse 5, now they were dwelling in Jerusalem, Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. And at this sound, the multitude came together. This multitude of people, remember, these people from every nation, this multitude comes together and they're looking at each other and they're bewildered and they're like freaking out, wondering what's going on because each one was hearing these people speak in their own language. And they were amazed and astonished and said, aren't these who are speaking Galileans? I noticed a couple things here in this passage. The Holy Spirit empowered them to do some things. The first thing is this in your notes. He empowered them to shine. And the people instantly notice what God was doing among his disciples. The people that were ignoring the disciples, the Christians were not very famous at this point. In fact, people wanted to kill them. They were stirring up a ruckus in the religious community. And suddenly, the religious community said, Look at these Galileans. Galileans were known to be uneducated men. And suddenly, these uneducated, unqualified men are speaking a language that they didn't understand. And not just one, but they were hearing languages from every single tongue that was represented in those people. 
You know, when we're empowered by the Holy Spirit to shine, those who might not be too impressed with you will suddenly be impressed with what God is doing in your life. Not impressed with you, but impressed with the God that you serve. As we continue in verse 8, it says, these guys, after they said, these are Galileans, they say, and how is it that we each hear our own native languages? And I almost took this part out, but I just, I thought it was so interesting and important to just name these cultures, the, the Parthians and the Medes and the Elamites and the residents of Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and parts from Libya belonging to Cyrene and visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabians. What did, what did all these different cultures and people, what did they hear these Galileans saying? Well, it says, we hear them telling in our own tongue about the mighty works of God. They had never heard about the mighty works of God in this way before. As the Spirit empowered these people to communicate things that they didn't even understand, things that they didn't even know. They were speaking in a language that they didn't understand and know. And what happened to the people? They were amazed. This mob of people, this massive group of people were perplexed, saying to one another, what does this mean? And of course, there were mockers there as well, saying, oh, these, these guys are just drunk. They're filled with too much wine. They've been drinking the good stuff. The second thing the Holy Spirit empowered them to do in your notes is this, I believe, that the disciples were empowered to share. Not only did they shine, but they were able to communicate what was happening, what was taking place, and and what did they share? Well, we see in verse 11 that they shared about the mighty works of God. You know, my testimony without the help of this Holy Spirit is not all that great. But when I share with the power of the Holy Spirit, it gets people's attention. People can see God moving in my life. And, and the crazy thing about all this is these people, although they were empowered to speak in a different language, there's a, a spiritual gift associated with this. Uh, it's speaking in tongues. And, and this, this particular instance is, is quite interesting. And scholars actually describe, and nearly every scholar agrees with this, no matter where they end up on the fence of the Holy Spirit being for today or not. They all believe that this is also the gifts of the Holy Spirit being poured out upon the New Testament church. And you can write this passage down, 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Just if you want to know more about the individual gifts, we don't have time today to talk about them. I want to encourage you to go and read about them because I don't want you to be distracted about what gift you're using and what gift you're not using. I just want you to focus on the empowerment of the Holy Spirit upon your life and our willingness to receive it. Let's continue in this passage. So we're going to, we're going to skip down now to verse number 14. So here this crazy thing happens. People begin to speak in new tongues. A mob gathers. They try to start figuring out what is going on. And, and Peter steps up in front of all the people. You know, we know bold. Peter is just bold and brash. And he's just, this is a great moment for him. So Peter steps up and he preaches the first Holy Spirit-empowered message 
that anybody has ever heard. And he begins to tell them about their law. And he begins to tell them about their prophets and how this is all tied to the law and the prophets and how Jesus is coming as a manifestation of everything that they had ever heard before. And here's what he says in verse 37. It says this. Now when they heard this, this is referring to Peter's sermon. When they heard this, they were cut to the heart. They were convicted by this truth. They were humbled by this truth. Because what John said was true. And what Jesus said was happening before their eyes. And scripture says, and, and they said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, men and brethren, what shall we do? How many know that's, I mean, if, if a pastor's done preaching and people say, what should, do, what should we do in response to this? Peter's like, good question. I've got to an answer for you. Verse 38, Peter says to them, repent. Change the way you think about Jesus. Change your devotion to him and only him. And let every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of your sins, salvation. And you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit, empowerment. And what was so significant about this promise of the Father in Acts 1 and the fulfillment of this promise in Acts 2? Well, scholars describe this as the birth of the New Testament church. It's the church that we're all a part of today. This was the church that Joel prophesied about. He said, your sons and daughters are going to one day prophesy. This is the message that John came out of the wilderness preaching about. This is the promise that Jesus talked about. The Spirit of God with them and in them. The gifts of the Holy Spirit unleashed upon the New Testament church. Why? To begin to, it's, it's almost like heaven began to open up. Can you imagine what heaven is going to be like one day? And we see the Bible describes that our, that our bodies are going to be healed. Our flesh is going to be completely burned away. And we're going to have a new kind of a body. And, and evil is going to be gone. Sin is going to be rid of. And people are going to be healed and restored. And you're going to be face to face with Jesus. And everything that you thought you knew is all of a sudden right before your eyes. The imperfect becomes perfect. And you see Jesus for who he really is. And everything that you need to know about him suddenly becomes a part of your consciousness and think about what the gifts of the holy spirit do it's like the window of heaven cracks open and the gift of healing starts flowing down from heaven the gift of knowledge the the things that you could never understand about him all of a sudden become leaking into the minds of humanity the wisdom of God that you can never understand why God would do this and why God would do that. All of a sudden you start going, aha, I'm beginning to understand the ways of God and the miracles, the mountains that need to be moved on earth to make way for God. God begins to do miracles. These are all of the gifts of the Holy Spirit. And it's like the kingdom of heaven just starts slowly pouring down onto earth and permeating into the ground, into humanity. Now, before we get to the close of this message, and I'm gonna be a couple minutes over, just a little heads up. I wanna attempt to answer this question. Are the gifts of the Holy Spirit for us today? Or did they end during the age of the apostles? And I'm gonna mention this because there are some people that are very familiar with the baptism of the Holy Spirit and these gifts in our church. 
There are a lot of people who used to be Catholic and Baptist and non-denominational, and for some reason they find their way into our church. I don't know how, but they hopefully read what we believe online and they find themselves here. There's some people who are curious, and there's some who they've been in churches where people have actually taught against the gifts of the Holy Spirit. So today I I just kind of want to answer this question. See, there's some people that believe that the gifts ended in the time of the apostles. This theological belief is called cessationism. It, it means that the gifts cease or they came to an end or they, they stopped. They believe that the apostles were empowered with these gifts specifically to launch the New Testament church. And once the New Testament church was launched, the, the gifts went away. And I also want to say that well-meaning theologians, people that love God as much as you, some maybe more than you, have been debating over this for centuries. So I'm not trying to solve the debate today. I'm just trying to bring you some information. At the Grace Place, we like to say we want to major on the majors and minor on the minors. We think the cross, we think the finished work of Jesus is the supreme thing that we all need to be in agreement on. And I also want to say this, that we don't think you're less than if you haven't been baptized in the Holy Spirit before. We don't think you're less spiritual than anybody else. And I also want to say, would you forgive some of the Pentecostals who have maybe made you feel less than? Would you forgive us? Some have been rude and nasty. Some not even meaning to have placed pressures on you that I don't think God wants to put on you. I think he's kind. I think he's a gentleman. I think he moves in grace. That's not the heart of our church. And that's not the heart of the fellowship that we're a part of. I would honestly rather our church be filled with honest, loving, caring, non-tongue-talking people than filled with a bunch of tongue-talking people who are rude, mean, full of pride. At the Grace Place, we believe in the promise of the Father. We believe in the empowering gifts of the Holy Spirit that we see in Acts chapter 2 and 1 Corinthians 13. This theological belief is called continuism. This means that we believe the gifts continued through history, through the age of the apostles, and will continue until Jesus returns. Why do we believe this? Well, I personally believe that the Bible is very clear, and we actually see it in Acts 2 when we just, when you just go, and that's why we're just reading through this whole passage in Acts 2, everything that Peter said in his explanation. Why do we believe this? Well, Peter tells us in verse 39... He says, repent and be baptized and receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And and I can imagine some people going, you know, I think he knew, Jesus knew that people were going to be debating over this today. And so the Holy Spirit sought fit for Peter to say this, verse 39. This promise is for you. Everyone who's gathered here on the day of Pentecost is for you. It's first century. It's for your children. But it's not just for you. It's also for all who are far off, for all generations, for all who would call upon the name of the Lord. For everyone who says, yes, Jesus, 
I'm open to the baptism of your Holy Spirit. I see this as a strong case for the gifts being for us today. I find it interesting that people would say the gifts should cease. And the primary reason or or scriptural backing uh, that people give for the gifts ceasing is actually found in 1 Corinthians 13 and 8. It actually describes that one day the gifts will cease. Prophecy and tongues, they're going to be still. And some would say, well, exactly, they're going to stop, they're going to be stilled. But the problem is in context of this entire passage, and we're not going through it, I encourage you to go read it yourself. Scripture here is discussing the topic of eternity. It's actually talking about the day we're going to be face-to-face with Jesus. When we're face-to-face with him, there will be no need for prophecy. There will be no need for tongues because we will be in heaven face-to-face with our Savior. And we will know fully as we are fully known. The gifts will cease at that time. But until then, I see no biblical or scriptural precedence for the gifts ceasing. So what do we do with all this? This is the climax of the the story of the death and the resurrection of Jesus and and the new church, the New Testament church emerging into the world. This is the climax of the promise of the Father, the empowerment of the Holy Spirit for the New Testament church. And I'm just going to invite everyone to bow their heads and close their eyes. And I just, I want to ask you today, as we notice this, emblem of fire today we're all going to face fire one day and we can face it by grace and be refined and purified but we're going to be touched by the fire of God and if you're not ready for heaven I want to challenge you to take deep consideration I don't want to twist your arm. I really want you to think about your decision. Because today, if, if you repent and turn from what you think about God, turn from what you think about sin and your ability to overcome it, or, or, or maybe, you know, the religious fanatics have gotten too crazy talking about eternity and hell, it's, it's all in Scripture. And Jesus is welcoming you home today, and he wants to refine you He wants to make you his son and daughter. If there's anybody today who has not made Jesus their personal Lord and Savior by inviting him into their life, I'm just going to invite you to slip your hand up just briefly long enough so I can see it. Anybody want to make Jesus their personal Lord and Savior, slip your hand up and down just long enough for me to see it. I don't have his, his saving grace in my life, and I want his saving grace. Anybody? There's one person right over here. Thank you. I'm going to invite everyone to stand on their feet right now. And I'm going to invite us to pray a prayer with this one who raised their hand. This is, uh, we, we, we call it the prayer of salvation, but the prayer doesn't save you. It's actually what you believe about Jesus is really what brings salvation to us. And so today, let's just declare and just pray with our friend. Repeat after me. Say, dear God, I recognize that I'm lost without you. I'm a sinner and I need you to save me. I thank you for bringing the good news to me. I thank you that you took care of sin for me. And today I receive your life. 
your resurrection life. And today I'm saved. I'm made new. I'm your son. I'm your daughter. And I'm going to serve you with all my heart to the best of my ability with the help of the Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. Would you just thank the Lord? Thank the Lord. I'm going to ask everybody to keep your eyes closed, and I just, I just want you to think for a moment. And I want to ask you, have you received the empowerment of the Holy Spirit? When I think about the people that I know that are in my life that need the gospel, I've shared it with a lot of them, and they've been non-responsive. But I need the empowerment of the Holy Spirit to be a witness to those around me. And I'm willing that whichever way God wants to demonstrate his power through me, whichever gift he wants to operate through me, I'm open for it and I'm willing for him to use me in that way. How about you? I mean, would you love when your family member is sick to just be able to just grab them by the hand? invite the Holy Spirit in the room and heaven to just crack open and really I say heaven crack open God's not far away zooming to us from from heaven somewhere he's actually inside us by the Holy Spirit how much of us would just love that healing would just start flowing from within and just bring restoration to our bodies if you're at coffee with a friend who is struggling with with their marriage or their kids and they're just lacking the wisdom to navigate and and they're frazzled and they're just upset and they're in turmoil. How many you would like in that moment the empowerment of the Holy Spirit just to operate through you and you begin to just speak wisdom into their situation and clarity into their situation and just suddenly the, the words that everyone else gave them didn't bring peace but suddenly a peace just begins to overwhelm their hearts. How many of you would love sitting next to a friend who's in a difficult situation? They need a miracle. They need God to move mountains in their finances. They need God to move mountains because their child is addicted to something or or they themselves are addicted to something and they need a miracle. And from within, you just begin to agree and pray and just God begins to move through you the gift of miracles in this person's life and strongholds are broken mountains are moved finances flow and just God begins to do something in their life and he begins to shine in a powerful way if you've not been baptized in the Holy Spirit and you say I want that kind of life I want him to flow through me that way I just want to invite you to come up all across the front of the room. Would you come now? I want the Holy Spirit to baptize me in that way. And if, if you've already been baptized in the Holy Spirit and you say, I want him just to continue to use me, I'm just going to invite you to just come all the way across the front. And we're just going to pray over you. Would you just come now? I want the baptism of the Holy Spirit. I want him to empower me. And God, I declare that I need your empowerment. Without your empowerment, the mission doesn't work. We're called to be on mission. We talked about that in January. We're on mission with him. And he doesn't want to send us powerless. He wants to send us empowered. 
And some people might ask, well, how exactly do I receive the empowerments of the Holy Spirit? Well, you do it the same way you receive salvation. You do it by faith. Would you just kind of scoot up just so you can make room for people? There's, there's people behind you. You just receive it by faith. Some people might say, well, how do I know I'm receiving, receiving it? Well, Scripture is pretty clear on this, and this is a whole other sermon, and we'll talk more about this later. But one of the signs is that people begin to speak in a new tongue, and not in the sense that we saw in Acts, but they actually receive a prayer language, and they receive a gift of tongues. And I don't want you to be so much distracted by that, because I don't really ever see Paul like getting too over-concerned. He just began to pray that people would receive the baptism, and they just, they began to receive it. And you might receive a, a gift of the prayer language, and, and it might happen today. It might happen in your room by yourself. It might happen while you're driving in your car. I don't know when it can happen, but that's one of the signs. So I'm just going to invite us all right now, the same way we'd receive salvation, I'm going to invite you just to open your hands. Just put our bodies in a, in a posture of receiving. And I want to remind you that you don't need to beg God for anything. He doesn't need you to beg him. He just needs you to come to him in faith. And we just would all just open our mouth and just begin to invite him and and receive his baptism if you've never received. And if you have it, would you just thank him for it? And we just invite him to just use you in miraculous ways that the gifts would flow through you at work and at school. Jesus, we love you. And we just declare to you, God, right now in this moment, God, this sacred moment, this special moment, that you would baptize those who have never received your baptism in your Holy Spirit, Jesus. God, that people would begin to move in your gifts, that people who have never received the gift of tongues and the gift of the prayer language, that they would receive your gifts today. God, that they would receive them for the purpose of mission, God, for the purpose of empowerment, God, that we would see our moms and dads saved, God, that we would see our brothers and sisters saved, that we would see our sons and daughters saved, God, that we would see our friends and neighbors and coworkers saved. And God, I pray that you would help us to just move out of our mind everything that we've ever thought about you operating and moving in the area of the gifts. Yes, God, there's sometimes you come with power and authority and it's shocking and it's loud. But God, you can come through a gentle whisper. You can come without dramatics and bring deliverance into somebody. God, bring healing into somebody. The dramatics are when people begin to see your work and they begin to tell about the glory of God. So today, God, we just receive.